G'day Night Church. My name's Nathan. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matt's. And we are getting deeper into our series, What Are You Doing? I hope so far you've found it uh, an encouraging but challenging time kind of to consider what it is you are doing in your walk with Jesus uh, and what it is we could be doing in order to help deepen our discipleship with him. One of the all-time classic action movies from the 90s is a movie called Speed. It's kind of peak Keanu Reeves. He did Bill and Ted, then Point Break, and then this. What a run. The movie's amazing. If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, well, you've now got plans for tomorrow night. So thank me later. It's a great film. And the premise is about as simple as it gets. There's a bomb on a bus. And if the bus slows down below 50 miles per hour, it blows up. That's pretty much it. They just don't make action movies quite so simple anymore. You can pretty much sum the plot up with just five words. If you stop, you lose. If by lose you mean blow up. Now a movie is tense, it's exciting. The whole thing moves at a breakneck speed, which is absolutely perfect for a movie, but it's not so perfect if we're talking about real life, if we're talking about the pace of our lives. But you know what? If you stop, you lose is actually a pretty spot-on description of the way that our culture thinks about time, the way it thinks about work, and the importance that it places on rest. Life today is lived at a breakneck pace. It can often feel like we're stuck on that bus with Keanu, just hurtling on, never seeming to slow down, always on the move as soon as one project ends, as soon as you hand in one assignment, there's another one that's due. And this relentless pace of life, it leaves our world in a perpetual state of restlessness. If you stop, you lose. So we're stressed out, we're overworked, and we're under-rested which is exactly what the results of that recent survey we did suggested. Out of the 90 responses that came from Night Church, only 27% of us could say that we take a day each week to stop working, to stop studying, to stop doing the chores around the house. That leaves over two thirds of us who can't seem to find the time to go a whole day without working in some way. That's a problem. A big one, especially for those who want to deepen our discipleship to Jesus, who want to be with Jesus, who want to become like Jesus and who want to serve him in the world. John Ortberg, minister in the US, he talks a lot about this. He sums up the problem perfectly when he said this. For many of us, the, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. I don't know about you, but those words hit a little too close to home. I find myself going, man, that is so true. That danger. How do I stop that from happening? Now, what can I be doing to not let that happen? Well, one answer, of course, is rest which might seem kind of simple, maybe too simple, and yet 73% of us admit, admit that it's hard. 
Turns out that resting well is hard. And it's not primarily because we're time poor. It's not because we're disorganized or we suck at scheduling, though all those things might be the case. Our difficulty when it comes to resting well runs deeper. It runs deeper. In our reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5, you've got Moses who's preaching to God's people as they're right there on the edge of the promised land, they're ready to walk in. How good is that photo of Moses, by the way? Desktop quality right there. Now, Israel's come from being slaves in Egypt. They're about to receive this this long-awaited land of rest, you could call it, from God. But before they do, Moses lays down the law for them again. This is how you are to live in God's land of rest. Now, chapter 5, Moses goes over the Ten Commandments, number four of which is God's command for them to rest. What does he say? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. Out of the top ten commands God gives to his people, Sabbath ranks fourth. Think about that. And the word Sabbath, by the way, if you're wondering, comes from the Hebrew verb that means to stop or to cease, as in to rest from work. Now notice there in Deuteronomy 5, this day of rest is actually to the Lord. Can you see that? It's not just about putting down your work, it's also about taking up worship, rest and worship, which you might remember me talking about earlier this year. Rest and worship really was the whole reason behind God bringing Israel up out of Egypt in the first place. And he reminds them of this fact there in verse 15. Take a look. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt, he says, but you're not anymore. You see, slaves don't get a rest But you do because God's freed you from slavery and therefore he is commanding you to rest. Has it ever struck you as odd that God has to issue this command to them? Be like having to command the eating of ice cream. Thou shalt eat tonight dough from Ben and Jerry's. It's like, okay, if I have to... (laughs) But, you know, does this dusty bunch of desert wanderers who'd been dreaming about walking into this oasis of the promised land for like 40 years, do they really need a command to rest? It's like, look, thanks for the encouragement, God, but we can take it from here. You know, I I think we're ready to get our rest on. Did they really need the command? Of course they did. You want to know why? Well, it's because our inability to rest is not just a diary malfunction. It's a heart malfunction. The real problem isn't scheduling. It's spiritual. Our struggle to rest stems from a a deep restlessness that sits at the very center of every human heart. A restlessness that we're desperate to satisfy, but which we can never seem to shake. I read a good book this week called Receiving the Day by a woman named Dorothy Bass. 
It's got some great practical stuff on this whole topic of rest. And she captures the restlessness brilliantly, I think, when she says, we delude ourselves into believing that if we can just get everything done, if we can only tie up all the loose ends, if we can even once get ahead of the crush, we will prove our worth and establish ourselves in safety. We come to believe that we, not God, are the masters of time. We come to believe that our worth must be proved by the way we spend our hours and that our ultimate safety depends on our own good management. You see, at the heart of our restlessness is a deep desire to be safe, to be valued, to be and to mean something, to prove our worth, to secure our place in this world and to show ourselves and others who we really are. And we will not rest, not really, until we get there. And our culture disciples us to believe that we will get there by what we can accomplish and what we can accumulate. Accomplishment and accumulation. And our world is on a quest for rest and has become convinced that these two things will get us there. That if we just accomplish enough, if we just accumulate enough, then one day that will be enough and then we can finally rest. But of course it never is. And so we never do. We remain stuck in a haze of relentless restlessness. If you stop, you lose. And we wonder why we're always so exhausted. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> I like the term uh, Tim Keller gives to this. He calls it the work under the work. The restlessness of working to justify ourselves, working to prove our worth, working to secure our position. And it kind of just sits underneath everything that we do, whether it's work, whether it's study, whether it's organizing the house. Work under the work is what drives us to log those ridiculous hours, to try cramming even more into our already overstuffed lives and to cut corners on things that are less pressing in the moment, like our discipleship to Jesus. This work leaves us restless. And we all feel that, don't we? It, it whips up a kind of storm in our hearts as we're gripped by the fear of being found out, not worthy, not experienced enough, not sure what we're doing, as we worry about not measuring up to someone's expectations, to my own expectations. A storm that gets fueled by our desperation to impress the boss or to achieve a certain mark, or to land a particular job. It can be fueled by an anxiety over our un unemployment and what that says about us. It's being gripped by jealousy and, and marked by bitter rivalry with those who are also seeking to rise above. Work under the work is like a storm that's restlessly churning within us and it's exhausting. It's exhausting because it's never calmed. It never ends. 
And that's because it turns out we're looking for rest in all the wrong places. One of the most important early church fathers, St. Augustine of Hippo, he was a bishop in North Africa, writing around 400 AD. He penned a famous autobiography of himself called The Confessions. It's an amazing piece of ancient wisdom literature. Sorry, ancient Western literature. It's also wisdom. One of the most famous lines from it is about restlessness. He says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So even back in 400 AD, they had a rest problem. We can blame our busy schedules or our iPhones all we want, but the real fault lies within us. And the mistake we make when we go looking for rest everywhere, except the one place where it can actually be found. What does Jesus say there in Matthew chapter 11? Turn with it to it with me if you've got your Bibles. What does he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and, I, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls, Jesus calls it. That's the antidote for our restlessness, for the work under the work. How? Well, God sent his son into the world to work. If you read the Gospels, one of the striking things about Jesus' life and ministry is the calm control that he shows at virtually every point. There's a settled restfulness about Jesus, and it's typified by that day on the sea when, the, when he calms the storm. You know, he's surrounded by restless weather and, and restless disciples actually have to wake him up because he's asleep. And what does he do? Calmly stands and he commands the wind and the waves to stop. Quiet, he says, be still. And they obey. And we get this sense like, it's okay. I've got this. There's, there's a tremendous restfulness about Jesus. Not when he's on the cross though. Nailed to that piece of wood, God's son is restless. He cries out, doesn't he, in anguish, in agony, in abandonment. There is nothing peaceful or serene or restful about Jesus' death. And there's a good reason for that, because as he's up there, he's not just dying, but he's bearing the burden of our sin, our disobedience, of our rebellion against God. We cannot fathom the toll that kind of work must have been exacting upon him. The weight of cosmic restlessness that was being poured out upon him in those hours. And at the end of it all, before breathing his last, he quiet, quietly whispers those three beautiful words. It is finished. And like that stormy day on the sea, these three words have the power to quell the restless storm in our hearts. The fear and the insecurity of not measuring up, the desperation to justify ourselves through our work. Jesus 
offers to calm it, it is finished. The work's been done for us. You don't have to worry about securing your place because Jesus offers to secure it for you. For the first time ever, we can now rest. Rest for our souls. And as we do, as we make that space in our lives, as we practice resting well, we proclaim to ourselves and to the world that we are no longer slaves to the work under the work. Our rest actually declares that, just as it did for Israel. You see, their Sabbath rest was, a, was statement making. We're no longer slaves of Egypt. We've been saved by God's mighty hand. That's why we're now resting. When we, when we rest well, we actually make a similar kind of statement. We're declaring that we're no longer disciples of the if you stop, you lose story. We're disciples of a new story, the gospel story. It is finished. Brothers and sisters, if you are still restless, if the rest I'm talking about remains elusive to you, it's worth asking yourself tonight, which story is discipling you? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Come to him. Now, it's, it's true that because of Jesus, we're no longer bound by the Jewish law of Sabbath. But we are still bound by the spirit of rest. If you go back to the very start of Genesis, you'll see that the idea of Sabbath isn't firstly Jewish, it's actually human. By resting on the seventh day, God actually wove rest into the very fabric of creation. We need a Sabbath. And just as we heard read from Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus is challenged by the Jewish leaders over his disciples breaking Sabbath, he doesn't say, look, don't worry about it, lads. Sabbath is no longer important. He doesn't say that, does he? Sometimes I think we're guilty of assuming that's pretty much what Jesus does, just kind of writes it off. But he doesn't. He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And he, he says they actually have been doing it all wrong. He challenges the way that they've been following the Sabbath law for for it becoming onerous and loveless. But he actually affirms the importance of rest. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, the answer isn't to throw it away. It's to do it well. And so that's the challenge that lays before us. This commitment series is asking us all to take a look at what we're doing and how we're growing and what it might take for us to become deeper in our discipleship to Jesus. Resting well, I think, might actually be the area we've got the greatest room in which to grow. So I thought we should finish with seven Sabbath suggestions. Number one, actually rest. Like work out what you find restful and then do it. God's made us all different, so the way that we rest might look a little different as well, which is fine, you know, you do you. Some might 
rest by turning the alarm off. Others might rest by getting up to watch the sunrise. You might want to share a coffee with a mate, or if you're like me, share a board game with a whole bunch of mates. Maybe it's a surf, maybe it's a snorkel down at Shelley, maybe it's reading a good book, or maybe it's just sitting on the rocks down at Queensy and not doing anything at all. Maybe you're one of those weirdos who likes to jog. Personally, I prefer a good midday nap. Try, you know, turning your phone off, putting your watch away, covering all the clocks in your house, and try going the whole day without knowing the time. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Whatever it is, the key is that it's restful, right? Because a Sabbath is not just a day off from your job or your studies, it's stopping all work. So you might actually need to work out how to get your life admin and your chores and your grocery shopping done at some other time. Number two, worship. Remember, God didn't just save Israel from Egypt so that they could rest. He saved them so that they could worship. Resting with God is worship and worshiping God is restful. It's, it's kind of silly to think that we can separate those two things. That's what makes Sabbathing on a Sunday a, like a good idea because time for worship is actually built into the day already. My day off from work at the moment is Friday. But you know, as I've been thinking this week, it's actually the day I'm least likely to spend time with God, reading, praying, reflecting, worshipping. And that doesn't make any sense. It should be the other way around. That's one of the things I'm determined to change about the way I rest. And worship is so important for rest because as we worship, our hearts continue to be discipled by the story of the gospel. So our worship actually drives our rest deeper. Number three, shoot for 24. See, Sabbath doesn't work if we carve it up into little pockets and then just scatter our rest throughout the week. I think I'm guilty of this one too. We should be shooting for 24 straight hours of rest, which might sound like a lot, but I think there is something symbolic in that. A whole day without your vital and important work. Look at that. The world keeps turning. There's also something physiological about it as well. Like we need extended time, I think, to give our bodies and our minds the proper space to wind down. And if you're not really resting at all at the moment, perhaps begin with something a little smaller than 24 hours, you know, like start with six or 12. But over time, the more you practice resting well, shoot for 24. Number four, controversial. I love me some Netflix, and I'm sure that many of you do as well. But you know, streaming subscriptions are actually designed to keep us restless. Because if we're restless, we're going to keep on watching. And you know, you feel it, don't you, as you're trying to pick something from the endless lists that they give you. And if you linger over any one of them for, for too long, they'll just start dramming the trailer down your throat. It's like, what am I going to pick? What am I going to pick? Like, it's not restful, it's, it's stressful. Don't get me started about the uh, end of the episode countdowns. 
pressure to keep watching. It's coming. You've got 10 seconds. Decide you're going to watch the next one or not. It's like it's meant to be restful, but it ends up actually stoking our restlessness in a way. So do our phones as we scroll, and so does shopping. These things disciple our hearts towards wanting more, towards needing more, towards accumulation, right? They leave us restless. So do try enjoying your Sabbath without going to the mall, without scrolling through your phone all day, without binging on Netflix. Number five, save it for the Sabbath. Now, I think it's really nice if you can actually pick a few restful things that you will only do when your Sabbath rolls around. For instance, I like to drink coffee from rollers most days, but I will never partake of their sweet, sweet treats Mm -mm. until the Sabbath because a big, fat, crispy rollers pastry is actually one of the things that makes it a day of rest for me. It's like a rest trigger. And look, I know I've just slagged off Netflix, but maybe there's a favorite show that you're watching. Instead of binging it, just smashing the whole thing out, why, why don't try watching an episode or two just once a week each Sabbath? Stretch it out and just enjoy it on that day bit by bit. Because I think making your day of rest special is a great idea by just saving some stuff for that day. Number six, Sabbath together. That's another great benefit actually of choosing Sunday as your day of rest because time together is actually built in. 73% of us say that we find resting well hard. So let's actually try and get better at this together. Find someone to be accountable with about your rest. Plan a regular meal with some others who Sabbath on the same day. Because it really will be easier if we're able to do this together. Last one. Work hard to rest well. I think I probably saved the most helpful suggestion for last. Resting well actually won't happen by accident. And if we expect it will, it just never will happen. It actually takes us to think about it, to plan it out. And to be intentional rest takes work funnily enough and it's not just one day of the week that might need to change the other days may have to be rearranged as well and sometimes the reason we don't rest well is because we haven't worked well during the week like if we slack off when we should be working we'll end up working when we should be resting that's the truth it sounds more profound than it really is And yet we still make that mistake, don't we? Work hard so that you can rest well. O Lord, our heart is restless until it rests in you. So said Augustine, and he was on the money. But just a paragraph or two further on in the Confessions, he goes on to say what I reckon is pretty much just as profound as that. It's a prayer for restless hearts. As we have a go at resting well this week, as we embrace the idea of Sabbath, this would be a perfect prayer to accompany us. He says this, O Lord, my God, tell me what you are to me. Say to my soul, 
I am your salvation. Say it so that I can hear it. My heart is listening, Lord. Open the ears of my heart and say to my soul, I am your salvation. May that be the story that disciples our hearts and drives us to rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this series and we, we thank you in particular for this week and the chance to stop and think about rest, think about the place that it has in our lives currently, and to think about the impact resting well might have on our discipleship to Jesus. Lord God, we pray that you would give us the courage to reflect honestly about how we're doing in this regard, the areas in which we might need to adjust and tweak and change. By the power of your Spirit, Lord, give us the ability to actually make those changes, to lean into rest. And as we do, Father, we pray that you might bless our time of rest, that we might be renewed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.